Uh, so I'm going to read through Psalm 23 for us today. If you've got one of the blue church Bibles, uh, you can find that on page uh, 548. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Good morning. My name's Stephen. I'm minister down at church just down the road at Trinity Church Modbury. It's excellent to come along and to see uh, your new building where you meet. Um, I've got a friend who's an optimist and his wife tells a story about before they were married and I've got a, a picture up on the screen if it comes up. A swing set? That's it. So she tells this story about before they were married um, where they were, she was sitting on a swing and they were kind of, you know, romantically hanging out in a park and he had a soccer ball with him. And then, for no apparent reason, he kicks the ball as hard as he can and it hits her full on in the face. And, and he feels really bad and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And he tries to explain what he was trying to do was kick it above her head between the chains that you can see there like it was a soccer goal. And she says to him, that's the problem with you, Richard. You always overestimate your ability. It's so true of this guy. He's an optimist. He's an eternal optimist. He's like whoever put those heaters in and thought they would make a difference. What were they thinking? Now, I don't know about, I don't know whether I'm an optimist or a pessimist. Well, actually, I, I know I'm, I call myself a realist. Everyone else calls it a, a pessimist, I think. What about you? What, what are you? Are you more on the optimistic side? or more on the pessimistic side in life. As a realist, I've got to admit that I find optimistic people, overly optimistic people, sometimes a bit annoying. You know, they're always so positive, always so hopeful, so confident. I used to share a study when I was at Bible college with this guy who was an overly optimistic guy. He would never study because he was just always so confident and sure that he would make it through. And we'd drive each other crazy He'd actually stop me from studying as well. He'd always be on eBay or the phone or mucking around. One time I was studying for end-of-year exams and um, he was mucking around as usual and he, he stole my mouse from my, keyboard, uh, from my computer. So I did what any sensible person would do. I gaff-taped his head while he was sitting there. <laughs> he got his hands up, so I got a few more around. They got stuck there as well. I've got to admit, optimistic people, overly optimistic people, they drive me a little bit nuts. And if I'm honest, part of the reason is because I'm jealous. I mean, they, they know, they think they know anyway, that things are going to turn out right. I'd love that, just to be able to relax, just cruise through life. It'll be fine. It'll be good. Everything will be okay. Though I've got to admit, as I've gotten older, I reckon I see that sometimes their optimism is actually covering a deeper anxiety that lies beneath the surface. Whether we're optimists or pessimists or realists, we all long for that kind of security, that kind of confidence. We all want to be able to just relax and, and know that life's going to be fine. 
It'll all work out in the end. We want that kind of confidence. Now, the song that we're looking at today, Psalm 23, it's a song about that kind of confidence. Not a song about self-confidence. It's the absolute opposite of that. This is a song where the writer sees himself as, as needy. He sees himself as weak, vulnerable on his own, but safe and secure in God's care. Psalm 23, it's probably, probably the most famous psalm in the whole of the Bible. Uh, it's a psalm that people love, especially it's associated with death and funerals and that kind of thing. But if you read the words, when you read the words, this is a psalm about life. It's a song about living and being led through all of life. It's an incredibly powerful song. And the, the power of the, the song is in the metaphor, which is what Amanda was kind of teaching the kids about, about metaphors, really. See, David could have written, we'll see if we can bring it up on the screen. He could have written like this. Number one, the Lord is a God who provides for his people. Two, he is a God who shows people how to live. Three, he is a God who is powerful and ensures a safe future. Now, all those things are true about God, aren't they? And all of those ideas, they're there in the song. But when you see verse 1, and it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That actually says so much more. Because David, he's appealing not merely to our minds, he's, he's appealing to our hearts as well. Now, for some reason, we think the two can be separated. Mind and heart. We, we tend to give intellect prominence and we suppress emotion or we do the opposite. We give emotion prominence and we su- suppress intellect. And different people, different personalities, even different churches, they, they can favour one or the other. But this song, it, it powerfully joins together the truth that God is in control with the sheer emotional relief that that truth brings. David has a shepherd. Like a sheep, he doesn't need to worry about where the next meal's coming from. He doesn't need to worry about possible dangers. He can outsource his worry to someone else, to God. What a flood of, of emotions that truth brings. Now, before I go on and move into the psalm a bit more, are you someone who encourages emotions like that? Are you someone who encourages those kind of feelings in your walk with God? In our fallen world, emotions just don't always line up with how they should. You know, it makes me think of my, um, my kids. Loving my kids just doesn't happen naturally and easy sometimes. You know, feeling the right way about them sometimes actually takes a choice to feel the right way about them. Now, it's the same with our walk with God. We can suppress our emotions or we can encourage them, the right ones. Are you a church up here that, that favours intellect over emotion? Or are you a church that, or a person that favours intellect over emotion? This song, it's actually a reminder that, that we need both. The Christian life, it's about truth and emotion coming together. You know, singing, when we sing, 
It's about truth and emotion coming together. When we preach, it should be about truth and emotion coming together. And whether you're reading the Bible on your own or you're in a community group or reading the Bible with your kids, don't just think when you're doing that, what does this say to my mind? But think, what does this say to my heart as well? How do I feel about this? How how could I feel about this? This song, Psalm 23, it's using metaphor to speak to both truth and emotion. So we're going to explore the metaphor a bit more. But actually, there's not just one metaphor in this song, there's two metaphors. The first one is that God is shepherd, and so we're sheep. The second metaphor is that God is the great host, and so we are his guest. So we see the first metaphor in verses 1 to 5. I think it's still up on the screen. Yep. Look at verse 1 again. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now, who here actually has any experience with sheep? Just put your hand up for a sec. Oh my goodness, wow, this is like the rural Trinity Church or something. (laughs) I think it's like one person at, at Modbury. That's excellent. So you know then that if you're thinking of Australian shepherds and Australian sheep, you got the wrong idea here, okay? Uh, the metaphor will be completely lost on you if, if you're thinking of Australians and Australian sheep. I've, I've helped friends chase beleaguered sheep around their properties with dogs barking and motorbikes roaring. It's lots of fun, but it's completely impersonal. And, and as far as I can tell, the sheep are thinking the less they see of the shepherd, the farmer, the better. Well, the kind of shepherd-sheep relationship that David's talking about, it's completely different. It's one where the sheep willingly follow the shepherd. David describes it like this in in verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. God provides him with good things, with what he needs, Not, not necessarily what he wants, but with what his soul needs to be refreshed. And notice how personal this song is. You see it in the next slide. God doesn't write God is our shepherd. He writes, my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He refreshes my soul. See how personal it is? It's a song written from a very personal perspective. Now, like we can't separate truth and emotion can't do that we can also make the mistake though of trying to separate communal relationship so our relationship with God as a kind of group with individual relationship with God now it's not one or the other it's actually both it's always both it's like this there's the flock but there's also at the same time the individual sheep it's not all about the flock It's not all about the individual sheep. Now, it would be a mistake to treat God like he exists just for me. I don't know if you've ever met Christians like that, where it's almost like their relationship with God is everything, but in a way that that ignores others, that kind of is is almost selfish. We're individualistic as, as a culture, and so we are actually drawn to doing that. We're drawn to act like our relationship with God is the most important thing in the world, but in a way that 
views the rest of the sheep as unimportant. But alternatively, on the other hand, we could attempt to relate to God as if we are only a part of the flock. As if on our own we've got no personal, intimate relationship with God. Now, strangely, I reckon we're actually drawn to do this as a culture as well because I think we're often afraid of intimacy and afraid of intimacy with God. Both approaches are completely wrong. The single most important thing in in the world of of a sheep back then was its shepherd. But at the same time, it's not just one sheep walking around with one shepherd. The sheep is still aware of the flock around it. Now, if I, if I can sort of step away from the metaphor for, for just a second, what this sh- song is showing us is that we need to relate to God personally. It can be very easy just to relate to God as a group and let the group kind of relate to God on your behalf. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I've got four kids and, and most of them are pretty quiet and pretty shy, but I've got one who's quite happy to relate to strangers or people who visit on behalf of the rest he'll do all the talking all the eye contact all the kind of dominating he's happy with that and the others are happy with him to do that on their behalf now we could be like my other three kids with God only we can't God cares about the whole flock but he wants each person each one of us to be personally connected to him you could come to church, couldn't you? And it's a bit harder here. Um, you know, if there's a thousand people at church, it's very easy. But you, even here still, you could come to church. You could take your place here amongst everyone else. But you'll miss the power of this song, what it's talking about, unless, like David, you can say, yeah, God is my shepherd. I was thinking of a relative of mine, great guy, lovely guy, believes in God, goes to church but he would never say god is my shepherd that's sad and maybe you're a teenager here and you've just traveled through life with your parents but you've never really personally connected to god let me say to you your parents are not the shepherd they're just the sheep as well it's actually time for us to look up and see the shepherd that we need in life now is a great time to personally depend on him and love him like he's your shepherd. Or maybe you're here and you're just not sure where you're at with God. You know, you like the idea of God. You like the idea of, of someone else being in control, being able to outsource your worry to someone else. But you've never actually personally connected and, and surrendered your life to him. Well, what he wants for you is to know him as your shepherd, your God, your world. And it's no better time than now to to personally know God like that, the shepherd that you need in life. That's what God wants for you. As a church, um, your goal is not to, to grow and grow to be a huge flock of people. Your goal is actually to have a whole heap of people who personally know the shepherd. You want to be a people, each one having that kind of joy, that kind of confidence, that kind of peace in life. Not in a way that says it's all about me and my relationship with God and I don't really care about the rest of the flock. Because it's not all about us at all. 
we actually see what it's all about in verse 3. Up in the next slide. David writes, He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Why does God guide us along the right paths? For our sake? Well, yes, but ultimately for His name's sake. Because caring for us, that's what's consistent with God's name, with His character, with who He is. He takes care of us, He's good and faithful and He's He's true to who He is. It's not all about us in the end, it's all about Him. And thank goodness for that. Because if sheep make it all about themselves and if the shepherd were just to let the sheep go wherever they want to go, things get ugly very fast. Because sheep are weak and vulnerable and at times, if we're honest, stupid. If God gave you everything you wanted in your life, you know that would be a disaster, don't you? But when we realise who is the true shepherd, who is the real God, who it's all about, when God is your world, then everything is actually right in your world. That's what this metaphor conveys. It conveys the idea that that the shepherd is David's world. David, he's helpless, he's dependent, but the Lord is powerful yet personal and the Lord has got good things in store for him. So we see this in verse 5 and 6. This this point is where the metaphor shifts. So we've had the metaphor of the sheep and the shepherds. Here, the metaphor shifts to the host. So have a look at verse 5. He writes, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This is all imagery of exceptional kind of hospitality. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The metaphor is that, that God is the great host and David is his, his guest, his privileged guest. God prepares a banquet, a party for him. God treats him specially so that even his enemies can see that he's special to God. And David's confident that God will go on treating him this way, special, all the days of his life. So for David, where is the good life found? Where is the party at? Where is happiness and and contentment and joy found? What's well, with God, isn't it? That's what this image conveys. Now, we, I think we miss this so easily. Don't you reckon we so easily accept the lie that God is not the great party, the partier, God is the great party pooper? I reckon we accept that lie so easily because we so easily forget the character of God. And what an evil lie it is. It's a lie that, that's so deeply ingrained in us. God's the great party pooper. That the life of someone who's, who starts to follow God is actually a life spent untangling that lie and rediscovering the truth that the true party has always been and will always be with God. I was just listening to an audiobook. My kids are obsessed with uh, audiobooks, so we can't go anywhere in the car without them wanting to turn it on. But um, it was The Last Battle from C.S. Lewis. And uh, it was that moment if you know the Narnia series, where the characters actually end up in Aslan's own country. 
they've, they've actually died and, and they're kind of in the equivalent of heaven. And uh, at that point, uh, it's this great party that is going to go on forever. But Aslan, he talks about what life was like for them before, this life, so all this world, and he calls it the Shadowlands. That's what this is, the Shadowlands. Even the greatest joy, the greatest party now is just actually the Shadowlands. The true party is with God. You know, the devil, he can't create anything. None of us can actually truly create anything. We can simply imitate the true creator. And God either leads us to do that in a way that shows his goodness and his love, or we imitate him in a twisted way, taking what he's made and twisting it into something grotesque. The true party has always been with God. We can have other versions But if we have them without God, we're actually twisting them. God is the great host and the great party is found with him. Now, have you noticed that there's a strange tension in this song? So have a look, verse 5. God is the great host and yet there are enemies there. God will care for his sheep and yet in verse 4 we read, even though I walk through the darkest valley, the word means deep, impenetrable gloom. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. In this song, life brings enemies, evil, and terrible dark times. But nonetheless, still David can say in verse 6, in the next one, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Somehow, following this powerful and this, this personal shepherd, it doesn't spare us from the struggles of life. Enemies, death, evil, sickness, they're still a very real reality. But still God's goodness and love are with us. How does that work? Well, first, have you noticed the way that the the song follows the reoccurring patterns of life? So there's times of good pastures and still waters at the beginning of the song, just like in life there's those times. Then there's times of walking through dark places. And then there's times of coming through those dark places to banquets and celebration. So that's there. But now notice, where is the shepherd at all those times? In the green pastures, where is he? Well, he's the one who led us to those places. In the darkest valley, where is he? He's there. He's leading the way. With his rod in one hand, that's like his club for whacking any predators. And with his staff, that's like his crook for guiding the sheep. And at the party, where is he? Well, it's his party, his house, his food and wine. David's confidence is overflowing because God is with him at every step of the way. Following God means goodness and love will follow him, he says. Literally, David says that God's goodness and and love will pursue him. How do you feel about that? If you follow God, his goodness, his faithful love will pursue you through all your days. Things might not always go how you want them to go, but you'll never lack what you really need and God's love and goodness will hunt you down. 
In this song, you don't see the goodness of God first and foremost as, as you look at the landscape around you. There's green pastures, but there's also dark valleys. It's not the trail that shows us God's love. It's not the, the trail that, that gives us confidence. It's, it's only as we look directly ahead at the one who goes down the trail ahead of us. Our confidence no, comes from knowing what our God is like. And we, we can actually know that far better than David could because God has shown us his character even more powerfully than he showed David. Have a look what Jesus says in, in John 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, as we look back at Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, we have even more reason than David to be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. We've got even more reason to say, surely his goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have every reason to say, Jesus is my shepherd. So I want to finish today by asking you a couple of questions that that come out of this song. Because we might have every reason to say, Jesus is my shepherd. But who is actually your shepherd right now? Who is your world or what is your world? Who or what comforts you when you're worried? Who or what reassures you that everything will be okay? What do you think will lead you to green pastures and quiet waters? Is that God or is it something or someone else? You know, there can be all sorts of things that we might look to to shepherd us, to give us security in life and and guidance and comfort. Things like career or family, a relationship, money, pleasure, even things like artistic expression or sexuality or intelligence, personality, even shopping, even food. Or to switch metaphors, who's your host? Where's the party at for you? You know, where's the good life? Is it with God? Or is it found somewhere else? Is it God's love and goodness that are pursuing you through life? Or if not, what is pursuing you? Is there something else that's about to catch up with you? Some other shepherd. You know, there's a, there's a silly parody of this song that's all about having a different shepherd. It goes like this. The TV is my shepherd. I shall not want. It makes me lie down on the sofa. It leads me from the faith. It destroys my soul. It guides me in the path of sex and violence for the sponsor's sake. Yea, though I walk in the shadow of Christian responsibilities, there will be no interruptions, for the TV is with me. Its cable and remote control, they comfort me. It prepares a commercial before me in the presence of my worldliness. It anoints my head with humanism and consumerism. My coveting runneth over. Surely laziness and ignorance shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house watching TV forever. It's obviously going a bit overboard, but it kind of captures the truth. If God's not our shepherd, something else will shepherd us and it could be something as empty and silly as TV or it could be something meaningful, but still something that's unable to bear the weight of shepherding our souls. And when the dark days come, the question is, Will your shepherd be up for the task? 
when you get sick or diagnosed with cancer or depression or you get fired or you can't find work or if your spouse leaves you or you lose a loved one, will your shepherd then be up for the task? Jesus goes on to say in John 10 verse 12 about other shepherds, he says, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. Any alternative shepherd to God will let you down and in the end actually causes you great harm. But Jesus is different because he cares for us. So much so that in the very next verse, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. See, we don't take heart in the green pastures and neither do we lose heart in the dark valleys. We take heart in the goodness and the love of the Good Shepherd who lays down his life for us. It says we fix our eyes on Jesus ahead of us on the trail, that we can trust him in the good times, Trust him in the shadows of life, no matter how dark. We can trust him anywhere. And Jesus, he might lead you to hard places. But if he's your shepherd, he'll only ever take you there out of goodness and love. And he will never leave you there. Do you know that? If you're in a hard place right now, he will not leave you there. Other shepherds, though, they'll take us to those same hard places, but they'll abandon us. When we follow Jesus, the goodness and the un unbreakable faithfulness of God is on display. The God who goes to the cross for us and his goodness and love will pursue us all the days of our lives. See, doesn't that move your heart? Doesn't it move you to confidence? Even optimism? Not confidence in ourselves. Not confidence in in our circumstances in life. Confidence in Jesus, our good shepherd. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, for who he is, for what he's done for us. Lord, help us to see the way that he has poured out his life on our behalf, our shepherd who has laid down his life for us. Lord, move our minds and our hearts together to stand in awe. Lord, help us to see the full effects that Christ's cross can have for us that we can lay down our anxieties, that we can trust you in the good times and in the dark times and know that you will bring us through to the great celebration when we will dwell with you forever. Amen.